Boom! Well, hello. Uh, welcome back to the unstoppable, undisputed heavyweight of podcasts, the Twins Podcast, starring myself and Dr. Marcos Rodriguez. Okay, so uh, Dr. Rodriguez, you are a doctor of many things, and what are you a doctor of today? You know? Sexual performance, obviously, Pat. Well, you know, that makes one of us. Mm. You know, It's like, delightful, i got to tell you. Oh, I see what you mm. emphasized there. Now, I feel like in my own uh, experiences, like my own private life, like uh, the thing that I tend to run into with that is that I kind of end up coming up short oftentimes. And I was hoping that you might have some advice for me in that realm. You know, it's like I'm always trying to help other people, but coaches need coaches, if you know what I mean. So, in your assessment of me, what do you think the big problem is? Length. Oh, yeah. Now, is there anything that we can do about that? Probably stem cell injections. Do they have to be site injections? Like, directly? Yeah. Now, how, how big's the needle? Nah, it's not that bad. It's like a, it's like one of those uh, cock machines that you use for, for like... Oh, yeah, 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 that kind of clock. Yeah, like this ALK version of it. Oh, what are these things? Is it the same in all, like, oh, jeez, it's, yeah, okay, so I'm, now I know what I'm getting into here. So I see the length, is it this, the, the needle is the same diameter as that thing, uh, too? Probably just about. We'll make it work. Does it go in from the end, like straight sides, on? Sides, sides. Oh, God, all right, I don't know if this is even worth it. I mean, I'll give you the friends and family discount. Don't worry. About all right, all right. Perfect. Anyways, uh, you know, besides what I need help in, which is a lot of things, including my sexual performance, you know, let's get back to the bread and butter of this particular podcast, which we don't really know what that is yet. But anyways, we try to answer people's questions. We try to get into fitness-related topics, and we uh, generally bring like good tidings and cheer to those mm -hmm. who view us. But we have all of these. Patreon subscribers that have the ability to ask us some questions that we can get into, and uh, we'll start with that for this week. Okay, so Mike Aniska, who I think has asked questions before. He has. He's got some good questions. This dude's uh, pretty pretty sharp. Ah, all right, Mike, come on. Uh, okay, so. I've got to fluff him a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's very important. It's like stage one. It's like mobility work for my kind of people. New uh, people? Sexual performance coaches. Okay, gotcha. We know that stretching a muscle in efforts to change properties such as length, mobility, or the range of motion of a joint are pretty much useless for any long-term effects. But what about in the case of a muscle that's that's been torn? As time passes from the date of the injury, the tight feeling of the muscle definitely begins to dissipate, and it starts to regain its one normal function. Is there anything that can be done to not just speed up the recovery process, but to actually improve the quality of how it recovers, return it to 100% of what it was, or will it always be at a deficit that can't be improved upon? See, this is a, this is a great question. Like that, that's the kind of question that I just think is like, it's nuanced, it's smart, it's it's all the things that, that I hoped for when I got into education and having the kind of uh, you know interactive experience that I really like. But a lot of times people don't bring like questions that really lead to good solid intelligent discussion that gets past like step one and superficial and I think that that's an example of a great question so thank you very much Mike uh, the question is like post injury 
what are we dealing with? Do we, because you're, like, if, if something's torn, if there's a surgery that's performed, we're going to see a decrease in range of motion. Mm -hmm. You know, Luke, you've had an ACL surgery. Yep. I'm, you, I'm sure you can attest to this. You are going to have extremely limited knee flexion following, something like that. And what we're trying to do is restore the person back to the original level. And, but what we're dealing with a lot of times with surgery is some kind of a significant tear or injury is that there is, there's literal damage to the tissue and the tissue has to repair itself. And what will typically happen is like any kind of scar, you know, I mean, we both have scars probably in various places. You, the scar itself is structurally and physically different from, from the rest of the tissue around it. And the thing that makes it different is that there's just a higher amount of collagen tissue with scarring. And with collagen, like if we were to compare um, like normal skin versus scarred skin, there's all kinds of different sorts of like molecular level things happening. You know what I mean? Like I've got some of the tissue that's like elastin in terms of the, the molecules making it up and I've got others that are collagen type one. And like, that's a big difference maker. Like this is really like fascia discussion typically. It's, it's associated with fascia discussion. And fascia is this special tissue because it's called reticular tissue and it's extensible yet tough at the mm -hmm. same time. And it's this mixture of collagen which gives it toughness with elastin which gives it this extensibility that allows for us to be held together and yet able to kind of like move. And with scar tissue, it's almost 100% collagen. Okay. The other thing about collagen is typically like it, it comes in a helical form and it's a, instead of DNA, which is like a double helix, collagen is a triple helix formed thing. Good enough. Yeah. You know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but when we have injuries take place or like this long-term tightening process, what we'll get is we'll get cross-linked collagen. Okay. So it's not like in its typical formation of being in a helical it's just all kinds of mucked up and crossed up. And with an injury, we're laying down collagen in the repair process. And if I don't move this thing, if I just let it stay stuck, it's going to become all kinds of cross-linked and that's not a situation that allows for extensibility. So what I need to do is intelligently get the tissue moving to the degree that it possibly can. And if I do that, at the very least, it's not going to ever be the same as healthy, fresh, tissue that was never hurt in the first place because I'm going to have a higher percentage of collagen making up this structure now as compared to this mixture of collagen and elastin and some other proteins that, that get put in there as well. But if I can prevent the cross-linking and this incredible shortening of the col collagen that could take place, if it were to just heal and not move, now I, I have the ability to have a good solid triple helix formation of normal collagen that has a degree of the ability to lengthen and tighten uh, more than cross-length collagen, which is really just stuck material. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of how I view that one sort of playing out. Like, but at the same time, you don't want to move too much too soon, too fast, because now you're never allowing the tissue to actually heal, and you're just probably continuously re-injuring it over and over again. So now, like, I know a more obscure couple, well, not really obscure, but people like uh, Polyquin, rest in peace, we call me. Uh, Paul Check and all these other guys believe in like um, ART and MAT and all these other like manual yep. modalities to like help with scar tissue. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there you can remodel tissue. It has the ability to be remodeled. 
uh, tissue will lay down like it's it's all kind of based on like a couple of concepts of number one like the you're going to be able to display joint range of motion that's associated with the most common joint position mm -hmm. for that particular joint action so like unfortunately in like the US the most common joint position is like a shortened position like people just sit around all day they don't do anything so and then it's sort of like uh, okay I'm gonna stretch to, to redirect this but that's like taking an eyedropper and saying that you're gonna change the level of the ocean you know what I mean it's like you can't compete with the hours and hours and hours spent being in that other place so you know it's it's just not enough like what you you would need to like completely move to another place and take up a completely different lifestyle to be able to like legitimately change the most common joint angle mm -hmm. you know otherwise you're you're just sort of like you know the two hours of yoga that you did this week can't combat like the hundreds of hours of, of garbage that kind of went along with it so it's almost like a picture like you'd have to move to like a tropical jungle and like spend all of your time outdoors moving and doing some kind of uh, task all day. Predators. Yes. So, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, I don't know the specific approaches that those guys would use, but you would have to accumulate a tremendous amount of volume to legitimately remodel the tissue. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is just piezoelectric flow as the driver of all of this stuff. Like, it ultimately comes down to like, the electrical flow going through the tissues leads to the direction of new tissue formation. It's almost like, uh, and, and but this again falls back into most common joint position and angle. Uh, you know, if I move in a given direction, I have to use muscles to drive that movement. Mm -hmm. And if I'm using muscles, it's nerve impulses that go to the muscles, which carries electrical flow down the nerves. So anytime I have electricity flowing into a given area, it's picked up, it's sensed by the local environment there. Mm -hmm. And the local environment will send this message down to the cellular level and the intracellular level, and it will essentially tell the, the nucleus to start protein synthesis of whatever tissues I need to remodel, and I'll lay down these new proteins in the directions of the, that the electrical flow was going in. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's almost like if I have someone that only does linear based work, I'm going to lay down a lot of linear bone growth, connective, like, you know, uh, tendon and ligament mm -hmm. growth, muscular growth. But they won't have like the structural changes taking place for like other directions of movement, for instance. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's sort of where that stuff gets to is it's like, you know, you're, if you lived in the wild and you had to do every imaginable movement all day long, you know, you have to jump, crouch, duck, move sideways, throw things, swim, climb, you name it if you have to live outside and you have to do a lot of volume of it, you're going to be a very balanced creature. Versus in the modern day, it's like, oh, what do you do? Well, I'm a Tour de France bike rider. My legs go like this, my upper body's like this. I'm going to be experiencing like piezoelectric flow in very specific directions which leads me to lay down new tissues in only those directions and not in the other ones, which makes me more streamlined and it's like an energetically efficient process. It makes sense, mm -hmm. like, but it's, like I think that those are the two fundamental things that I have in the back of my head as far as like, are you, it's almost like physics tells you the laws that you have to follow. 
and then do whatever the hell you want from a practitioner standpoint but did it correspond and fall in line with those pra- those those basic laws of physics I've, I've heard like from from people trying to run fitness businesses like you got to have your business and money guy and then the business and money guy tells you hey look you got to bring in this much revenue okay and it's got to be this much per hour and we're spending this much so if we can cut down on these expenses and you can bring in more revenue, you're going to make me happy. They basically tell you the confines of what you have to accomplish. Hey, go out and do it however it is that you do it, but you have to follow these, you have to be in the confines of these rules. Otherwise, this ain't going to work. So same thing in terms of practitioners. And most of the time, good practitioners are creative, and creative enough to be able to, even if they don't know the behind-the-scenes rules, they accomplish the things that they have to within the confines of these background rules. So hopefully that, that makes some sense. So basically we're all the T100 trying to move like the T1000. Brilliant, Pat. Brilliant. That's pretty good. I know. Yeah. That really is pretty good. Yeah. You're welcome. <clears throat> okay. What would... Uh, this question is from Wes Hall. What would the cueing for breath look like if someone was stuck in both patterns but on opposite sides of the body? For example, internally rotated, depressed, and retracted on the right, and inter- externally rotated, elevated, and protracted on the left. Thanks. Okay. So this is sort of like a, uh, you know, the, the power hour that I did last week was on breathing and just talking about an inhaled position skeleton versus an exhaled position skeleton. and. Basically, like if you look at the PRI model, the left side of the body is an inhaled skeleton and the right side of the body is an exhaled skeleton. So it's like at the level of the pelvis, like an inhaled pelvis, the, the innominate bones roll forward, the sacrum rotates backwards. You know, when an innominate bone rotates forward, the top of it tips out to the side, the back of it comes in, okay? That's what the left pelvis is doing in the PRI model. An exhale is the opposite with the pelvis, where the innominate bones rotate back, the sacrum rotates forward. Uh, when the innominate bones rotate back, the tops rotate, the tops fold in, and the backs move away from the sacrum. Okay, so and that's what the right pelvis is doing in the PRI model. So if the PRI model is is basically normal human is here, here, and here, and on the left, and here, here, and here on the right. All right. Uh, it's pretty good popping and locking, Pat. It really is. You know, it's like I can PRI breakdance. And it's like, yeah, like PRI gang signs, it's almost like you kind of know, like, hey, this is the, the, the rib cage, okay? Like, my left rib cage is going to be up, my right rib cage is going to be down, okay? Like an inhale, an exhale. So it's a right sided exhaled skeleton and a left sided inhaled skeleton. And that's like the standard sort of uh, left AIC lumbo-pelvic femoral situation and right BC, uh, you know, thoraco-brachial situation. And what would I do? Well, generally speaking, when we think of the PRI model, the left side is the more fucked up side. So I would treat the person as an inhaled skeleton. And when I'm dealing with an inhaled skeleton from a breathing standpoint, I'm going to have the jaw more open, and I'm going to be sighing out the exhale. I'm going for the lower pressure situation. So if you encounter someone that is very standard homo sapien, fits into the PRI model perfectly, treat them like an inhaled skeleton in, their, in the approach, and then bias the left side. Just follow the PRI model. 
It's uh, it's pretty simple. A, you know, the other stuff is really when you encounter different layers of uh, compensation. I would say is probably the right word. Mm-hmm. You know, and the more that you get into this, the more people you work with, the more people that you see that are just more jacked up. And then you have to try to explain it, and you're like, well, why don't they fit into this model a little bit better? Uh, but that's where smart people like Bill Hartman come along and like they just help like hey I think this is what you're seeing this is my explanation for what I think is going on and from what I've seen with that it's uh, it's just a more thorough more complete explanation so but just treat them like an inhaled skeleton sweet you're welcome Wes okay Matthew Keen <clears throat> Pat, if our abs are not doing their part as we inhale, is the pelvic diaphragm still going to descend with the thoracic diaphragm, or or will the guts just fall forward while the P diaphragm stays ascending? Well, it, 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 this is the classic, uh, I won't tell this joke too badly, but um, this is like the, what do old people's underwear smell like? Depends. Okay, so the answer to this is it depends. Like, what state are you stuck in? Okay, because some people, I'm stuck in an exhaled state, you know, you might be stuck in an inhaled state. You know, I would measure the infrasternal angle to give me a a guide into what state you're stuck in. Like, you know, wide infrasternal angle people are stuck in an exhaled state, narrow infrasternal angle people are stuck in an inhaled state, and if you are, then you just follow along, like what is associated with an inhaled state and what is associated with an exhaled state. So, you know, let's start the discussion with the thoracic diaphragm because I think it makes more sense to people. Uh, When I inhale, my diaphragm drops and flattens. Mm -hmm. When that happens, it's inside my body. It's basically going to push the guts and the fluids in my abdomen down. And when it pushes my guts and my abdomen down, uh, my pelvis needs to be able to open from the top to accept the guts and the fluid down into that space. And if I push the guts down and the pelvis opens this way, it's going to push the pelvic diaphragm down. The pelvic floor drops down because that's where the forces are going. And when I exhale, the thoracic diaphragm comes up. The pelvis goes from being in this open state to this closed state. The pelvic floor pushes up. It pushes the guts up and the guts move upwards in the, are received by the thoracic diaphragm. So it's kind of like, well, I I don't know what state the person is, but if you know what state they're in, you know what the direction is that the guts are in. And uh, you know, a lot of times people, like when the, people that are in kind of a crappy inhaled state, like they've descended their diaphragm and they don't have the abdominal tone to be able to like, like basically their abs are so weak that the, they just, the guts go, they push out. Uh, they push down, but they're also pushing out. So they've just got like this big bloated stomach looking situation. And it's almost like, well, what is that? And it's like, well, it's it's kind of like your your guts are falling out through the front of your abs. Because you have such a poor degree of eccentric abdominal tone that you can't prevent that from happening. Uh, and I would say that's, prob- that's probably more associated with your narrow infrasternal angled inhaled people that have really poor abdominal tone is they're just going to have like this big bloated looking fupa situation and uh that don't look good yeah that don't look good unless if you're into fupas 
Is there anybody that's into fupas? Lucas? Soft, soft pass. Okay. So, yeah, you know, there's somebody that's into everything, though. There's got to be somebody that's like, I. my thing is a f- solid fupa. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm more into fupas than I am into feet. I do not understand the foot thing. Like, no? You don't like, you like feet? No comment. I actually think I know the origin of the whole foot thing. Really? You ever heard of, like, in old Chinese culture, it's like the tulip foot? They'd like bind. They bind women's foot feet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, they bind women's feet. So that at that point, it's like they're reliant on the man. Yeah. And it's like that sort of like innocent, like oh. they can't do anything, makes the foot oh. look more appealing. Mm. And I'm sure well, there was. It, but I think like in the brain mapping stuff too, like the genitals and the, and the feet, feet are yeah. next to each other. Yeah, and a lot of like the sure the, the somatosensory maps, like the that. homunculus, the sensory homunculus. And it, but I think. You are making the woman more submissive yeah. when you bind the feet. They like really need you. Like, so, I think from a hygiene standpoint, all you guys should get manis and petties because no girl wants your car mechanic fingers anywhere around them. Uh, for your feet, men and women, I think you should always have clean feet because the last thing I want to do is have you guys over and it looks like you guys just came from fucking stomping in Narnia with your dirty ass feet all over my floor so probably clean that up is that a Seth related joke no, no, no why does Seth have that feet have you never seen his feet uh, oh dude his big toenails stop okay. like eagle That's, talons no, can't do it anyways I, I agree with the pedicure phenomenon especially for personal trainers like cause you're standing all day your feet get jacked up and uh, you need to have those things taken care of you don't want your nails like getting all caught in like you know what I mean like make sure somebody can get in there and do that shit right so that you don't have that pinky toenail that's like wrapping around the side of your foot and causing all kinds of problems and all sorts of yeah which brings me to another point I think uh, for for new trainers uh, young trainers who are just getting into the industry I think there's a a certain level of common sense I would hope that you guys keep Uh, number one be clean at all times maybe have a toothbrush and toothpaste on you at all times thank you Lucas uh, wear deodorant. That's very important. Um, make sure you don't have any eye gunk, nothing stuck between your teeth. Try to dress somewhat for the cause. You know what I mean? Maybe iron your shirts. I don't know. I don't know what your situation is. Your gym you uniform. You iron that tank top? Every day. Dry cleaner. Um, yeah. I think that's very important and something that's easily overlooked. I just had a client this morning. We were talking about, hey, maybe you should go back to your former trainer. And, uh, you know, it's like, he did mention, like, oh, I don't know, my former trainer did have bad breath. And it was kind of like, people notice that stuff. Well, you can't charge premium prices when you look like, you know, you just became unhomeless last week, so. Yeah. True story. Like, if you can say, hey, I don't want people to judge. People, we judge people. Plain and simple. Like, uh, if you don't want to be judged, fine, but just don't expect to be part of the human race. And maybe you don't do it consciously, but you definitely do it subconsciously. But, um, yeah, I think for both male and female trainers, there's a certain type of, uh, I think it comes with integrity. Like, you should just yeah. have for your business. you got to look the part. And you just, like, right, we're going to, you know, we are going to talk about the commonalities. We're going to get into talking about with training is, is competition good or bad or you know times for both but I think that this is leading us into the discussion of comparing the personal trainer to the barber you know what Mm -hmm. I mean because I think that that is one of the best 
like it's a similar thing where service providers for people and like for a lot of guys like we we all we all have to go to the barber basically and there's usually a fairly common experience but it's almost like when it's probably like you're gonna not go to your barber again if you have a really bad experience it doesn't have to be the greatest experience in the world but it can't be the worst experience and if it is the worst experience or just something that you find disgusting or something like that you're gone okay so like you have a barber, right? Like I, I do. Yeah. How long have you been going to the same barber? Longest relationship in my life, twenty years. Damn, that's since uh, I was seventeen. I have not found my guy yet since I've been in New York. I've kind of had different people. I haven't been happy with anyone in particular. Like I'm still waiting to find my guy. But usually, yeah, when you find them, it's like you stay with that person. And like I don't know about you, but for me, it's like I don't need to go in there and like talk to this person relentless like I there's certain expectations that I have I want them to just sort of like you know put me in the chair not choke me out with the weird white thing that goes around the neck if rotate me towards a TV if there's one available let me see that thing you can tell jokes in the background with the other barbers and whoever else is in there cut my hair in a reasonable way in a fairly timely manner and then don't fuck it up you know what I mean but like I don't know like I think there's there's different levels that people have. Like some people are willing. They're like, listen, I gotta have the best barber or the best person to cut my hair. I'm willing to spend 150 bucks for this. Yeah, me me either. Like I'm not doing that. But in terms of also people that are gonna sign up with personal trainers, clients. Okay, there's some people who are like, I'm only interested in the top person. Like, and they associate the top person with who charges the most. You know. And then there's other people who are like. Eh, it's personal training. It's my fitness. Like I'm only willing to go to this level of mm-hmm. pain, you know. So I don't know. Thoughts on this barber personal trainer comparison? Like, what comes to mind on this for you? Um, have you ever been to a Dominican barbershop? I have not. Not yet. I'm gonna take you somewhere, kid. I'm actually looking forward to that. For a you. lot of uh, Red Sox fans, because big pop, the Yankees man. offended my people one time. Ruben Sierra. Anyway. Uh, Mondesi, I forget who the fuck it was. Raul Mondesi had a cannon. Yeah. And he had a cannon. He had a great movie theater in DR. Huh. Um, anyway, so, you know, I remember my first time that you get that weird, you know, like, just like weird, uh, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. you're like, hey, ha, 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 and you're like, wait, what's that on my arm? You're right. It's your barber's junk. Yeah. You know, after the first 15 years, you sort of get used to it. So, it's just a thing. Yeah, so barber junk to the elbow. Sort of reminds me of like when you have to spot someone while they're benching. Yeah. There isn't Very close. Yeah. It's uh, a homunculus or whatever. It's like the same thing, right? It's like barber. Barber. Bench press. Barber dick to the elbow. Mm-hmm. Personal trainer nuts over the eyes on the bench press spot. Mm-hmm. They are equivalents. I think that they are, in fact, like analogous phenomena that take place to the person that is the client of that individual. And you have to be aware of that, okay? Now, when you go to the barber and all of a sudden you feel the little barber all up on you, are you a mover or a stayer? So, you know, because I've been with my guy for 20 years, I'm a stayer. I'm, you know, I'm used to it at this point, but with a new guy, I'm like, whoa, get out of here with that. Yeah, well, it's hard it to because you're pleasant. in the chair, okay? You've got the cape over you. And the, there's the big armrest, and then all of a sudden you've got Barber on you. And then it's kind of like, 
do I make this obvious? Like, does does he know that I know that he knows that I know? Kind of a situation, and you're like, are you really obvious about getting it away? And then where do you put your arm? Because there's not a lot of room. Yeah, exactly. You're just kind of stuck in there like that. But have you ever actually vocalized this to the barber? Uh, I have not. I'm not sure if there's like a calling out movement for that. Has anybody like a hashtag Me Too kind of barber situation? Hashtag my me my barber. My hashtag my barber's junk. My trainer's spot. Yeah. My trainer's lift off. But like, I'm guessing that I don't know. Has any dude ever actually called the barber out for this? I wish I could FaceTime my barber right now. It'd be pretty phenomenal, right? But he's probably cutting hair. Not actually, he would FaceTime me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But my phone's not on me, so maybe next time. I'm just sort of getting at this idea that it's like this unspoken thing that we have all experienced that we're probably not telling the barber. And there's probably other things that are like these unspoken things that the clients aren't necessarily telling us. Like, man, my trainer's undercarriage smells like a wheel of Gouda cheese. Maybe you, brother. When he comes to spot me on bench press. It smells like lavender and eucalyptus. Look, Gouda cheese cheese on a Gouda day for me. (laughs) (laughs) But normally, I would say that it's really more like a combination of like... Like, Popcorn and honey roasted monkey nuts, got it. You're not welcome. exactly that, more the butter that would be applied to the popcorn at the movie theater mixed with like aged vinegar. Okay? okay. That's a solid okay. descriptor right there. Anyways, uh, so, okay, so the barber and the personal trainer, very similar experiences. Some people just need good enough, a lot of people are turned off by price points, and there's probably weird things that we do that are similar or analogous to barber junk on the elbow that the person is not vocalizing to us but are in fact like kind of turn-offs to the client or turn-ons depending upon what kind of client you've got all right but like yeah that's sort of where i'm getting at is like you know i try to notice these things there's always these kind of odd things that go along with every profession and when things go wrong but the person doesn't necessarily tell you like oh i really didn't like that uh, but you have to keep going back to this person over and over again. Yeah. So something to ponder, okay? And yeah. Trainers, send us your thoughts. Yeah. What is the equivalent of barber junk to the elbow as far as personal trainer thing that they're doing to the client? Throwing that out to the universe, we'll see what the universe throws back at us. Hopefully not giant universe junk. Okay. And with that being said... Competition. Okay. Competition, first of all, good thing, bad thing, other thing. I think it depends on the person, where you're at in uh, the stage of your life with how comfortable you are with your ego, uh, the amount of self-reflection and self-awareness you have as a person. I think if you're a young, dumb kid who's very egoic and self-centered, I think competition could be a bad thing. Are you talking about anybody specific here? Fuck. I was going to call you out, but he beat me to the punch, oh, okay. yeah. Uh I think it could be dangerous, all kidding aside. Um, and as corny and as cheesy as it sounds, I think you could always compete against yourself. Just try to evolve and be better than you were the day before. That's easier for some people, not so much for others. You need numbers and you need to chase after someone cool, but those are, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I think it's like... Uh it's a great. It's going to drive people to do things they wouldn't normally do. Mm-hmm. Competition. Sometimes that's a really good thing. Sometimes it can be excessive. You know, I, 
I can remember hearing Dave Tate kind of talk on this a while back too, and he he called it like you could only pull out so many zippy cards a month. Yeah. And uh, you know he said that you could get like like for elite powerlifters you get like one zippy card a month where you're like fired up, you're ready to go, and like you're get ready to lay it on the line in a competitive environment. But you do it too much and you're fried. Yeah. And you know I think I, mean? I think for guys like you and me who were pushing forty almost. Oof. Yep. We really don't give a fuck about someone else, you know. Oh, cool, you curl more than me. Congrats. Tell your mother I said hello. I still like to compete, though. You know what I mean? Like, there's but like it's it's yours comes from a more I don't know affable, friendly kind of maybe constructive. I still want to rip Luke's head off on a daily That's basis. He's like, an well, no, but he wants. To, no, I I like it though. It's fun. It gets me going. It's like it's almost like as I get older, it's harder to get. Yeah, up for things. That is very um, but you know, it's like, uh, like when I feel like there's like a competitive thing happening, like all it changes everything. Like I feel like energized, I'm ready to go. But again, like if I do that, if I go to that well too many times, what's going to happen? I'm going to get psychologically burnt out. I'm probably going to start having some aches and pains. Rhabdomyolysis yeah. and all that other good shit. That all the other things. Get. So I think that if you understand the pros of it. And what can come along with the cons of it? It's like, from time to time, it's like competition to me is like, like I'm always comparing training to like cooking food, even though I don't cook. But like, you know, I picture like a big stew, a pot, like I'm making it for everybody. And competition is like one of these like seasonings that I can put into it. It's not the the main dish. The main dish is like I good, like that. That good makes sense. quality movements that are done with good technique and a thoughtful program. But, like, I've got all these other things. Like, glycolysis to me is, like, some salt and pepper. Like, mm -hmm. if I put in the right amount, that's some flavor. You know what I mean? If I put in too much, it overwhelms the whole thing. I ruined everything. Yes. So that's how I view it. Like, how do you season a meal? The right amount. Not none. Not too much. Just, just the right amount. Which is different for every kind of meal. I think about when we went to uh, Costa Rica to uh, flow over at Ben House's. And uh, it's what thirty of us dudes lifting weights. Yeah, no one was being an asshole to anyone. Everyone was just cheering Support each other on. That was constructive competition. It wasn't like fuck you, you fucking asshole. I'm gonna beat you, and in turn hurt myself really bad because I had to prove something. So, yeah, as long as that distinction is clear, I think that's that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, but again, just be aware. Like if you're gonna do it, have some semblance of an idea of when it can start to bury you and have a have an exit strategy yeah. in some ways. You know what I mean? And and be be honest enough about where you're at with yourself and talk to people in an honest manner. Don't always have to be Mr. Hard like you know, like have a like hey, how are you doing today? Oh, you're a little bit beat up too. Like what what do you think that's from? Like maybe we've been kind of pushing it a little yeah. bit too. Why don't we back off just a little bit? Let's go get ice cream or something. I love ice cream Me too. Why don't we do that, Marco? Let's do that, Pat. That's a great way All to right. end. Fantastic. You're welcome, America. You're welcome. Hey, uh, take it easy there, Dutch. <laughs> What's the matter? See a guy you pushing too many pencils? Uh, no. Uh, no. No.